Regular listener, why not check out our YouTube channel for more Arsenal and general football content? Over there, you can sign up to a Chronicles of Aguna membership, gain access to our exclusive members-only content, as well as our private Discord server. But above all, you'll be supporting me to bring you more content and continue what's been an amazing journey covering the Arsenal so far. Enjoy the show. It's the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, and we are live. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. Happy Mother's Day. Happy North London Derby Day. North London is red, but then again, when wasn't it red? Um, temporarily, those guys have kind of had the bragging rights um, in terms of the last couple of meetings between the two sides. But we all know that North London is red and that never changed for a second. But fantastic result. I thought for the most part, it was a really, really good performance. I thought Mikel Arteta, in terms of his selection, in terms of the way he managed the game, I thought it was spot on. Um, we'll come on to talk about so much because there is so much to discuss off of the back of this one. I'm going to try and do it in chronological order because it's the only way I, I think I can do it without missing points, without forgetting to mention certain things. Um, so we're going we're gonna to try and work our way through the game chronologically um, and try and make sense and discuss and analyse certain aspects of the performance. Big hello to everybody joining us in the live chat already. Wow, there's plenty of you in there already. Uh, big hello to T-Talks, to Omar, to the Arsenal granny, uh, to Andreas, to Chase, to Bad Boy, to Ashton, to Fatality, to Josh, the Overlord, uh, Femi, Manny and Josh. Hope you're all well. Thanks for joining me. Sipping on my victory cup of chamomile tea. It's been that kind of day. It's been that kind of weekend. Absolutely buzzing that Arsenal finished the weekend uh, with a North London derby win because I've got to be honest, and you know, I talked about it um, quite a bit in the lead up to this game. I talked about the fact that I was kind of struggling to get up for this North London derby because, of course, it was sandwiched in between two really, really important European games. And I worried that, you know, it could be a bit of a distraction, could cause us to take our eyes off the ball in the in the competition that for me still remains a priority. But I spoke to you guys yesterday and I talked about how I was starting to get the derby feeling from then. And well, when you fast forward to today, especially at kickoff time, man, um, I wanted to win it more than ever. And I guess... You know, as much as you want to try and sometimes be sensible, look at the bigger picture, stay calm um, and look at the wider sort of context of where Arsenal are, what the season can still bring, our hopes, etc., etc. It's impossible not to get like that when it comes to the derby. You know, it, it just taps into a, a part of you that, you know, you just can't help but lose yourself in. And it was just, yeah, I, I mean... Absolutely delighted that we won the game. Absolutely thrilled that we did it in the nature we did it because I thought 
as I said right at the top of the program, that the performance was really, really impressive. So let's let's do it in chronological order. Let's talk about, obviously, the big news before the game, which was that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang had been left out of the side. Now, I was in the car prior to the game and um, came up, BBC Radio 5 Live, uh, and, and the, the commentator said there's been uh, a number of changes in the Arsenal side, etc., etc. Tottenham have made X amount of changes change for Arsenal is that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is out, uh, Alexander Lacazette is in and Cedric comes in for Bayern. And I'm thinking, okay, rotation. Um, I didn't expect Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang to be rotated, but, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't crazy against it. Um, of course, you know, he's our, he's our talisman. He's our main man. And a, a, a part of me was disappointed when I initially heard it. But then I thought about the bigger picture again, the wider context of things and the fact that, of course, this tie, as I keep saying, or this Premier League fixture is sandwiched in between uh, two really, really important European ties. But then the news broke that he'd been left out for disciplinary reasons. And Mikel Arteta, to my surprise, you know, gave that gave that away and, and it kind of revealed that. And I didn't really feel like he had to. And at the time, I remember saying and, 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 and thinking to myself, is this the right decision, Mikel? should you have gone and stood in front of the Sky Sports cameras and basically said that our captain has been guilty of of some ill discipline and you've dropped him for the side off the back of it. I couldn't quite put two and two together, first of all, because uh, what was the need to say? I didn't feel like it was necessary. Um, I think that because of the, the position we're in, because of everything that's going on, Everybody was kind of thinking, well, there was going to be rotation anyway. And I don't think any major eyebrows would have been raised had it just been purely down to rotation. So I was a little bit surprised that Mikel stood in front of the cameras the way he did and said what he said. Um, Obviously, he tried to play it down uh, by the fact that he said, you know, we've drawn a line under it. He didn't want the story to escalate any further. But then why even talk about it in the first place? I just found it all strange. And if you are dropping somebody for ill-discipline, they still have a place on the bench. For me, it just, it didn't quite make sense. Um, And I'm not really sure even still why he did it, why he said it, why he needed to. But, you know, ultimately it didn't matter in the end because Arsenal were brilliant. And we'll, we'll come on to talk about that man that replaced him, Alexander Lacazette. But it felt to me a little bit like Mikel Arteta had been let down by Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Um, wanted to make a bit of an example of him, wanted to send a message to the rest of the players in the dressing room. Um, and he was almost, in saying it, he was almost setting the, the the scene for if Arsenal failed to win, if Arsenal failed to score, and those that maybe would have turned around and said, well, you don't leave Aubameyang out for a derby. He was almost preempting that criticism, in my opinion, by explaining what he explained. Um, So yeah, look, it isn't a big deal now, of course, because Arsenal went on and won the game and obviously that's pleasing. Um, But it was, it was a little bit strange at the time. And, and interestingly, you know, and I know that they said this on Sky Sports, but it was something that I kind of picked up on even before they mentioned it. But when you saw those pictures of Aubameyang in the warm-up prior to kickoff, he didn't look happy. 
He looked as though something had gone on. He looked as though there had been a situation. He looked as though there had been some kind of incident, some kind of uncomfortable conversation between him and his manager because he's almost always got a smile on his face, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. And um, yeah, I, I found that whole situation a little bit strange. Talking about the rest of the team, it was uh, obviously Bern Leno in goal. Uh, Cedric came in at right back. David Luiz uh, partnered Gabriel at centre-back. Kieran Tini at left-back. Xhaka and Partey were the midfield duo. Martin Erdegaard played in the number 10 role with a Millsmith row on the left. Bukayo Saka starting on the right and Alexander Lacazette up top. Let's go through some of the individual performances um, and then we'll come on to, to some of the key moments in the game. Bern Leno for me. I mean, I feel like he was the main culprit for the mistake in Greece on Thursday night. I feel like he was partly responsible for what happened at Burnley. And even today, I never felt comfortable with Berliner when he got the ball at his feet. Is it because I am, is it because I'm watching him with something in the back of my mind? Um, you know, about him. And and I'm not quite sure if he's the goalkeeper to persist with, if indeed Mikel Arteta wants to continue playing this way, which we think he does. But he just, he just doesn't fill me with confidence. And it wasn't just about his distribution today. There was a couple of moments as a goalkeeper where I found it, I found his positioning a little bit strange and a little bit worrying. And to give you a couple of examples, the Harry Kane free kick that come crashing off the post. He's lined up his wall, Bert Leno, and then he's gone and stood, or he's, he's gone to make a move towards the side of the wall as Harry Kane strikes the ball. And as a result of that, he's not in the correct position. And I know Harry Kane's shot come crashing off the post, and we were very fortunate that that didn't come off the post and go in. Um, you, you just wonder, had he not taken that step the wrong way, would he have been able to get down and make a save and and avert the risk even of that ball hitting the post and go in? I think he probably could have because it wasn't an amazing free kick from Harry Kane, but it was that little step that Bern Leno just takes to the right, to his right, as Harry Kane strikes the ball. And you're wondering, well, you've placed your wall there to, to defend that side of the goal. That is your wall's job. Um, so what on earth are you doing? Now, it's not that I think he won. You know, I can see some of you in the chat saying, you know, he's not saving that. I'm not saying he would 100% save it. What I am saying is, is that the goalkeeper, for some reason, as as panicked as Harry Kane is about to step up uh, and taking a step to the right and ultimately taking a step towards the wall side. And that could have been fatal. You know, it, it should have, would have, could have, whatever. Um, you know, it's hypothetical now. But at the time, I was completely mystified by that. And when the ball comes back off of um, off of the post and falls to a Spurs player, credit to Gabriel. What a fantastic block that was. But we'll come on to talk about Gabriel in a minute. At right back, I thought Cedric had a brilliant game again. And I think he's shown himself to be so reliable um, on all of the occasions that Mikel Arteta's called upon him this season. I mean, I know he gave the ball away in the game at Aston Villa, but aside from that, he's been fantastic. Um, he's been really, really good. I thought he got forward really effectively. Really unlucky to see his effort uh, crash off of the post, off the back of uh, that cutback from Emil Smith-Rowe and dummy from Alexander Lacazette. Energy throughout the game to get up and down, to um, to support people, to 
uh, put dangerous balls into the penalty area. I just thought he was fantastic. And defensively, he never looked suspect for a minute. And, um, you know, I know a lot of, of people have been sort of arguing around Cedric and, and Bellerin and who should play. And is it time to cash in on Bellerin? I still think that Bellerin is a decent player, right? I'm not taking it away from him. Um, but I do feel like, and I've said this before, if the right offer, um, if the right offer comes in across the table on, um, you know, during the transfer window, I think it would be it would be right to uh, to probably move Hector Bellerin on now. And I take great confidence in the fact that I think Cedric can do that job. I know in an ideal world, you'd want to go out and get someone else. You'd want to go out and break the bank. But if we are talking about uh, a summer where we're going to need to sell to buy, then I feel I feel that that it makes with every time I watch Cedric, I feel that makes more and more sense. Uh, Dave Atkinson says, sorry, Harry, but you're criticizing someone that doesn't need criticizing. You must have an agenda against Leno. I absolutely do not have an agenda against Bern Leno. When Bern Leno pulls off wonderful saves and keeps Arsenal in games, I'm the first person to say it. But Bern Leno causes an uncertainty in that defense. He really does. Whether it be his distribution, whether it be with his positioning at certain times. There was another instance as well. The one where Harry Kane was... um, was flagged offside, but headed the ball into the back of the net where Bern Leno's running across his goal uh, to get there because his initial starting position, again, wasn't quite right. You know, I'm not sticking the boot in on Bern Leno on purpose or I'm not doing it to to fuel an agenda. I'm, I'm reviewing the game and I'm reviewing individual performances and Bern Leno for me today simply didn't fill me with with any confidence and and that's just how I feel about it um you know that's how I feel about it I didn't particularly feel comfortable with Berliner in goal today and I haven't done for a couple of weeks because he's been at the center of a few really really awkward moments and difficult situations that have ultimately led to Arsenal conceding goals so it's not agenda driven I'm just I'm just not sure about him um, but I've I've always been unsure about Bern Leno and his distribution. It's not a new thing. Moving on, we've talked about Cedric on the other side, Kieran Tierney. Again, absolutely brilliant, imperious. And, and the fact that Gareth Bale went off as early as he did without having even had a sniff was a testament to how well Kieran Tierney played. And not only does Kieran Tierney completely nullify the threat that Gareth Bale brings to the table. Let's let's have it right as well. Gareth Bale, who has been in sensational form of late, um, you know, he, he kept him quiet. He didn't give him a sniff, but he also got forward and made things happen in the final third and, and supported Emil Smith-Rowe. And I thought, again, Kieran Tierney, absolutely sublime. Wonderful performance from the Scotsman. Moving into the centre of the defence, Gabriel, solid, looks like the Gabriel that we had prior to COVID. I've talked about the fact that since he's returned, he's been a little bit shaky, uh, but I thought he was pretty good uh, in Birea the other night. And I thought he was really good again today. And of course he made that vital, vital header, didn't he? Um, off the back of that Harry Kane free kick, the rebound was, was certainly headed in and, and Gabriel uh, stood up to it and made a really vital block. So a really telling contribution uh, from him as well. And David Luiz. Oh, I mean, I've praised this guy and talked this guy up so much over the last few months because not only are his performances of the very high standard right now, but we talk about leadership. We talk about personality, character, and he's got that in an abundance. And 
you could see him at certain points in the game today, you know, guiding people, telling them where to be, uh, taking the game by the scruff of the neck to, you know, really trying to make things happen, picking up the ball, driving into Tottenham Hotspur's half, getting involved in attacking moves as well, but always making sure that there was sufficient cover behind him. And that's been something that David Lewis has always thrived on, you know, getting forward, getting involved in the midfield, getting uh, a little bit further up the pitch. But today I thought he was, um, he was really, really good again. And, and I really enjoyed his performance. I never feel, I'm not going to say I've never felt it with David Luiz because there have been times where I've been worried about him. But I thought he was um, I thought he was really good again today and deserves much, much praise for not only his own performance, but for the way he organised, for the way he encouraged and for the way um, tactically he was key to what we did today. So brilliant performance from David Luiz. Moving into the centre of the park, let's talk about Thomas Partey first. He was okay. Um, You know, I'm not saying that Thomas Partey was bad today, but I feel like we're not seeing the peak Thomas Partey right now. We're not seeing anything close to it. Fitness-wise, he still doesn't look quite right to me. Uh, Sometimes he was a little bit heavy in his running. He was a little bit sluggish. Uh, And there was a couple of times where he got caught in possession. Unfortunately, nothing came off the back of those. But you know, he can do a job and he's still, you know, Thomas Partey at 75% is still better than our alternative options. Uh, but he just, I don't know, I'm, I've not been too thrilled by what I've seen from Thomas Partey um, in the last couple of weeks or so. He, as A79 points out, he says, Harry, doesn't it worry you how often Partey loses the ball? He did lose it a few times today, trying to be a little bit too clever um, in certain moments. And, and, and you've got to worry about that because, you know, when you look at how Arsenal have conceded goals of late and the nature of those goals, um, you know, it, it just wasn't, it just, it's not that he was bad. It just wasn't the the Thomas Partey that we know he can be. It was almost like a 75% Thomas Partey. Um, a couple of you disagree. Some of you in the chat uh, saying that, um, uh, well, Matt says that I'm being a bit harsh on Partey. He said he tied towards the end, but his numbers were still really good. Manny agrees with me, says Partey was just okay. Martin says Partey, uh, not great, not fit enough at the moment. Uh, Omar says he's sloppy. Ray says he just isn't fit yet. Yeah, I think fitness is an issue. That's what I keep talking about. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a conditioning thing with me for Thomas Partey. You know, there's a fit Thomas Partey, some when he gets his head down and decides to motor forward with the ball, carries it without any problem. But this Thomas Partey, it's just the, the touch is a little bit loose. It's a little bit sluggish. He's maybe not quick enough getting off the mark at times. And again, I'm not going to say he was bad or terrible or anything like that, but he was a little bit sloppy in certain moments. And he was particularly sloppy, I thought, towards the end of the game when he was literally blowing out of his ass because he gave away a couple of needless free kicks, a corner that he really didn't need to with a really bad pass. So, yeah, just a little bit sloppy from Thomas Partey. Moving on to Granit Xhaka, brilliant. Um, Granit Xhaka was brilliant again. Uh, and, I, and I maintain what I've said about Granit Xhaka for the last three, four months. Granit Xhaka right now is one of Arsenal's most important players. And barring that mistake at Burnley, he has been arguably Arsenal's most consistent performer. I I genuinely do believe that. He was in the right place at the right time all the time today. He pressed really well when when Arsenal were pressing as a team. Uh, He defended well. 
he tried a couple of passes in behind the defense that didn't quite come off. But, you know, at some point, somebody has to take the responsibility and try and break between those lines. So, um, yeah, really pleased with, with what Granite Xhaka delivered today. Again, um, solid, solid display. Moving further forward, Martin Odegaard, brilliant. Again, um, another player who goes into my brilliant. I feel like I'm calling everyone brilliant, but most of them deserve it today. And, and Odegaard was certainly one of those. Um, energetic, uh, led the press at times, uh, really set the tone uh, in terms of the the intensity for those around him. And it rubbed off on others. Obviously scored a goal, um, somewhat lucky with a deflection, but after having hit the post earlier on twice, um, you know, one on the crossbar, one on the post, you felt like Arsenal deserved that little bit of luck. But again, Martin Odegaard, not just uh, picking up the ball and trying to create, but also making those bursts into the penalty area. And we've seen him have a similar chance to that on a couple of occasions this season where he hasn't put it in the back of the net. But that sort of energy to get into the box towards the edge of the penalty area and around the penalty spot uh, to try and get on the end of those cutbacks is is really encouraging. I think he's a fantastic player. I really like him and I hope that Arsenal can somehow um do a deal in the summer that sees him uh, join the club on a permanent basis. Uh, Tazel in the chat says uh, Odegaard was superb today, uh, carried on his momentum from the other night. Uh, his fitness to keep pressing for 90 minutes was excellent. He didn't go missing, always shown for the ball. It was class. Completely agree. Um, thought he was fantastic. Um, and, and, and as I say, I really hope that Arsenal can find the way of making that deal a permanent one. Moving on to the right-hand side, Bukayo Saka, um, was a little bit quiet, a little bit quieter than usual, uh, Bukayo Saka. But we've heard since the game uh, that he was feeling his hamstring a little bit towards the end of the first half. And that's why he was substituted. Uh, if that is the case, then um, you can understand why he probably wasn't at 100%. Talked about it in the build up to the game. I talked about the fact that Bukayo Saka is probably someone who's in the red in terms of his condition, probably needs a break. I also talked about the fact that I wouldn't have given him that break today necessarily being the North London derby. Uh, but that break was was almost enforced upon us in the second half because, uh, you know, when you're in the red, when your conditioning is, is it, you know, is not where it needs to be, then you do run a higher risk of, of picking up an injury. And he um, obviously had some kind of issue today. And that's why he came off again, by no means bad, still got back, defended, worked really hard and was key to uh, Arsenal preventing uh, Spurs doing anything down their left flank. We know that Sergio Reguillon, for example, is somebody who loves to get forward. And that was a rarity today because of the work that Bukayo Saka and Cedric done, particularly going the other way, pinning them back. Uh, so yeah, um, another really, really good performance from him. Uh, also, Nicolas Pepe, who came on in the second half, he was brilliant when he came on as well. Um, you know, picked out a wonderful pass to Lacazette, which led to the penalty. And we'll come on to discuss that in a minute. Um, but Nicolas Pepe worked hard again uh, and he seems as though he's turned the corner. Um, I still think there's more to come from him. I still think it's difficult when you're in and out of the side the way he is, but you can take a lot of encouragement uh, from what we saw uh, today. Moving on to Alexander Lacazette, um, I mean, worked extremely hard, did what he was in the team to do, which was hold up the ball, link up with the guys in and around him, bring other players into the game, be a threat in the penalty box. That's 
that's the only thing I would say that he maybe let us down a little bit on. And and again, look, I don't want to take, I don't want anybody to think that I'm I'm sitting here criticizing any Arsenal player because I don't think anybody warrants criticism. But I think there were some performances that weren't quite as good as others, and some issues that need highlighting. And I felt like with Lacazette, everything up to the penalty area was brilliant. There was a chance that he had where the ball got cut back by Emil Smith-Rowe and he's completely, what, from the corner of the six-yard box, spooned it. Um, and it's such a poor effort. He's gone out for a throw-in. Then there was another instance where um, where the ball got cut back to him in the penalty area. And that time, I thought he made the wrong decision. The instance before where he struck the ball, I thought he probably should have let that one run across the box. And the one he did let run across the box, which resulted in Cedric getting a shot off. But that was down to Cedric being so tenacious and determined to get on the end of that ball because he was completely off balance in a duel. I think it was with Lucas Moura. Um, But I thought that Lacazette probably should have dummied the first one and actually taken that one on, Um, you know, letting the ball run through his legs. So, yeah, um, you know, uh, Josh says it in the chat and he says, if Oba was in the same scenarios, he scores at least one of those opportunities. And that's the difference for me between Aubameyang and Lacazette. It's not, again, I'm not digging out Alexander Lacazette because he did a really good job for the team today. I just feel as though it's the fact that he's not clinical enough that is that makes it impossible for Mikel Arteta to select him every single week. And that's why he finds himself in and out of the team. Everything else he does is great. The build-up, the work rate, the linking up with other people. But he's just not clinical enough in front of goal. And you can't, you know, especially in games like that, when the moments come along, you have to take them. And can I put my hand on my heart, as much as I love Alexander Lacazette, love his work rate, love his determination, love his passion, can I put my hand on my heart and say that if I had one chance in the game, I'd prefer it to fall to him than Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang? I can't do that. And um, that's why Lacazette is a good striker, but he's not in the top, top bracket for me. Um, but yeah, there you go. Uh, moving on to the left-hand side, though, Emil Smith-Rowe. Oh, what a performance. Um, ran out of legs towards the end of it, and that's why he was substituted off, and it was the right call, I thought. Uh, it was well-managed by uh, Mikel Arteta, but... Everything that Arsenal did in that that did Arsenal did well in that first period, and pretty much in the second, came from Emil Smith Rowe. Came from the fact that Arsenal clearly had identified that that Matt Doherty was was the weak link. You know, I talked about it in the build up. I talked about players like Serge Aurier, Matt Doherty, and I talked about Davinson Sanchez as players that if you put them under pressure, if you put them in difficult situations, they will give you something. You know, they, they, they're poor. Um, they, they're really poor players. And just like we've been talking about our players and how they can, um, you know, how they can give something away, how they can make a mistake, how they can hit the um, hit the self-destruct button. Tottenham have those players as well. And those two players are um, 
uh, are Davinson Sanchez and Matt Doherty in that Spurs starting lineup today. And I thought we did really well to expose that side. But even more importantly than just getting a Smith row in behind the way we did is that when he gets into those positions, he's got the quality, the composure to look up and pick up a pass. You know, it's not just a random throw into the penalty area from, from a Smith row. He doesn't just get his head down, smash it across the penalty area. There is a deliberate pass every single time. Um, it, it's brilliant. And uh, again, I was really, really impressed by him. And a lot of people would have said... We're wasting Emil Smith-Rowe by putting him out on that left flank that Martin Odegaard's come in and stunted his development. But Emil Smith-Rowe proved today that, and he's proved it before as well, that he can play anywhere along that front line and be useful and be classy and be uh, impactful. And he did exactly that today. Quick reminder, if you haven't already, make sure you smash the like button. There's over 500 of you watching this live right now across the multiple platforms, but we've only got 86 likes. Guys, come on. We should be able to get to at least, at minimum, 250 likes. There's 500 of you watching. There's no reason why we can't get to 250 likes between now and the end of the stream. So make sure you hit that like button if you haven't done so already. Also, if you want to help support me to bring you more content, if you want to become part of our Discord group, make sure you check out our membership proposition. If you click on the link in the description, you will see the tiers of membership available. And I'd love to have you on board supporting the Chronicles of Aguna and becoming part of our membership family. So if you haven't done that already or you haven't looked at it already, feel free uh, to click on that. Check out the tiers. And as I say, we'd love to have you on board. Make sure you hit the like button now. Come on, let's see the likes climb up. We've gone up from 82 to 133 in literally a couple of minutes. Surely we can get it up to 250, as I say, between now and the end of the stream. So keep pressing that like button throughout. It is really, really important. Don't worry, I'm going to come to questions and all of that a little bit later on. So bear with me. Um, I will get to those as well. And I'm going to do some shout outs at the end uh, to those of you watching us and, and to wherever it is that you're watching us from. So I've talked about the individual performances. I think... I want to talk about some of the incidents in the match now uh, and starting with that Eric Lamella goal because it was, there's no taking anything away from Eric Lamella here, right? We're talking about an incredible piece of skill from a footballer who, quite frankly, since he's come to England, has been very, very hit and miss, um, you know, really hit and miss. Sometimes he's brilliant, sometimes he's terrible. And there doesn't seem to be an in-between with Eric Lamella. Um, and to not only to pull off the Rabona shot, to have the audacity to try that, first of all, in the North London derby, and to execute it with such power and accuracy, I thought was sublime technique. I can't take that away from him. You know, at the time I was cursing, I was cursing our luck. We'd hit the crossbar with that wonderful effort from Emil Smith-Rowe. We'd hit the post, um, from Cedric's shot. Arsenal were in complete control of the game and Spurs have one attempt at goal and there it is, bang, 1-0 to Tottenham. And it was difficult to take it. And it was difficult to take it. The fact, Well, no, actually, it was probably easier to take it based on the fact that it was just a moment of sheer brilliance. And you you tried to look and, you, you know, given the nature of the goals we've conceded lately, you were trying to find who the who the person was that made a mistake. You were trying to find someone to blame because that's just the way it's been over the last few weeks. Who's to blame? Who's the culprit? But you couldn't find anyone. And it was just rotten luck from our part that 
Eric Lamella, who now and again is capable of producing something, but very rarely does it, uh, has, has popped up with something like that. It's fantastic skill from him, fantastic technique. Deserves credit for even having the audacity um, to do it. But yeah, what a finish. And um, sometimes in football, whoever the opposition are, regardless of, of your feelings towards them, you just have to hold your hands up and say, fuck man, that was brilliant. And 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 that's exactly what Eric Lamella's goal was. I wanted to talk about Eric Lamella after that though. And I thought he really, really let himself down because I've seen some Spurs fans and, and I've spoken to Spurs fans who have been complaining about the fact that Eric Lamella was sent off. And I think it's absolutely ludicrous. And I'm actually disgusted that Sky Sports, for whom we all pay a subscription, have hired a bunch of incompetent clowns on their panel. One of which today was Freddie Lundberg. And it breaks my heart to say that. He's an Arsenal legend. I love Freddie. I had the pleasure of interviewing Freddie. For those of you who've listened to this podcast, right from when it first started, when it was audio only, there was an episode with Freddie Lundberg on it because he was very kind enough to um, to talk to me after an under-23s game when he was in charge down at Boreham Absolutely love Freddie. But man, what on earth was he talking about today? You know, he was one of the people that was defending Lamello, talking about how the arm to the face was, was a little bit soft. You know, the arm to the face in isolation was maybe not enough for a yellow card if you want to be, you know, if you want to be ultra critical. But let's be honest here. Eric Lamella could have gone 10, 15, 20 minutes before that. Because as soon as he came onto the pitch, he got involved in with Granite Xhaka, had a kick out at Granite Xhaka. He had a kick out at David Luiz off the ball as well. That's two incidents. He made that horrible challenge on, um, on Thomas Partey. He then raises his arm into the face of Kieran Tierney. And, and, and Dan DeLuca, who's normally on this show, um, whose opinion I, I, I always respect, uh, he was very much saying that Michael Oliver had decided that he was going to send Lamella off the next time he did something, whatever it was prior to that. And maybe that was the case. Maybe all of those actions that Eric Lamella had committed previously were taken into consideration by Michael Oliver. But there's nothing wrong with that. It's been a thing in football for years where you can pick up a yellow card off a totting up process. You've committed three, four, five fouls. None of them in isolation necessarily bad enough for you to uh, dish out the yellow card. But the combination of all of those offences leads to that. And and that's why I had, I don't think that they could have any complaints. Um you know, I, I was mystified by, by Freddie Lundberg sticking up for him. And I feel like almost sometimes these pundits, because they're so keen to make a career as a pundit, they're so keen not to be seen as buyers, that they often go the other way. I think Gary Neville does that when he covers Man United games sometimes. He goes the other way too much because he's desperately trying uh, to not be seen as biased. And and I just, I, I couldn't get on board with that. It was it was just stupid from Eric Lamella and that's where he let himself down, where he kept getting involved in incidents. And as I say, it was a totting up process and it led to him being shown that card and he can have absolutely no complaints. And when he sits down and watches 
those incidents back, when Jose Mourinho watches those incidents back, they're both smart enough to know um, that, that that decision was, was the right decision in the end. Um, I want to say a massive thank you. Where is it? Uh, to Hermani, who's just signed up to become a member of the Chronicles of Aguna. Thank you so much and welcome. Uh, make sure you go in the community tab or is it the membership tab? I never remember which one. And click on the Discord server link. Make sure you download Discord. Come into the server. Um, it's a private server for members where we talk Arsenal, keep you updated on the show and stuff. Um, so, yeah, please uh, make sure you come and join that. We'd love to have you there. So welcome to the channel and thank you so much. While we're just quickly paused, where are we at in terms of likes? Over 530 of you watching us now uh, live across the multiple platforms, but we've only got 163 likes. Let's try and get up to 200 uh, in the next few minutes. Surely we can uh, get that done. We want 250 by the end of the stream, but let's get to 200 first, one step at a time, eh? Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's where I'm at with that. You know, I felt that, that Eric Lamella could have walked earlier and was actually fortunate that he stayed on the pitch for that long and he crossed one line too many and bang, that was it. Also want to talk a little bit about Harry Kane. Uh, he made a horrible challenge uh, as well where he come clattering into someone just out of pure frustration. And it was it was quite embarrassing to hear uh, that those in the studio or, or those in commentary at the time say, oh, it was just out of frustration. You know, completely dismissing the fact that he's just gone and purposely taken someone out. It's, it's embarrassing. And that's why I get annoyed. You know, like Freddie Lundberg was a great player. Okay. Look at the team that covered the game today, right? Freddie Lundberg was a, was a great player. I've already discussed. I love the guy. Absolutely adore him. But feel like he was trying to go the other way. I feel like as much as he denies it, there probably is a little bit of uh, uh, of disappointment as to the way his Arsenal career came to an end in terms of as a coach. I think he was disappointed that he wasn't given what he needed to to manage the club during that interim. And then when Mikel Arteta came in, that he was ultimately kind of pushed to one side to the point where he felt he needed to leave. So I do think that that maybe plays a little bit of a part. But, you know, there's so many Premier League greats over the years uh, that have graced our football pitches and have got, Excellent insight. And we've got to listen to Michael fucking Dawson. And we've got to listen to Jamie Redknapp every single week. You know, and it's just like, man, like your, your Sky Sports, you're supposed to lead the way in terms of football coverage. And they were just, <laughs> it's just embarrassing to listen to. Um, and uh, it really winds me up. The bias is is unbelievable. Um, Tazel says, uh, Gabriel will go home, empty his pockets, and Harry Kane will pop out. Love that Gabriel was winning them old-fashioned headers against him. Yeah, and I probably should have mentioned this when I was talking about Gabriel, but what I really liked about him and Luis's performances today is they were really wise to Harry Kane backing into them. You know, he does that a lot, doesn't he? He puts his body in the way. He tries to manipulate uh, sort of players' his position to suit him. And I thought that both of them handled it so well. And not only are they both really competent footballers, but they're both really strong physical presences as well. And um, I thought that helped today. And I thought that's why they were so dominating or one of the reasons why they were so dominating. So yeah, uh, great to see that. And, and a great point. You know, he certainly did have Harry Kane in his pocket today. Um, what else did I want to talk about? We talked about, Lamella. We talked about the punditry, which is embarrassing. Um, I'm sure many of you will agree. 
I want to talk a little bit about the penalty um, because, again, I just I, I just can't believe that there are people out there who don't think that was a penalty. Yes, Alexander Lacazette is a little bit fortunate in that he's completely miskicked the ball and ultimately blown the chance. But the foul still occurred. And, and you know, sometimes you see players take a touch on the ball and the defender comes crashing into them and takes them out after that touch. That's why it's a penalty. What's the difference? Lacazette gets a foot on the ball. All right, it's a miskick. But after he's taken the touch, he gets completely taken out by Davinson Sanchez, who was just clumsy, stupid, you know. And, you know, I talked about it earlier on. I felt like he was someone that we could get something out of. As Fatality says in the chat, it was a reckless tackle. That's the best way to put it. Reckless, clumsy, unnecessary. Um, And it was like a scene out of Cobra Kai. It was like a kung fu kick across the front of Alexander Lacazette, flings himself in the air to try and get on the ball. And I've got people telling me that it's not a penalty. And I've got Freddie Lundberg telling me on Sky Sports that it's not a bloody penalty. I've got, I expected Michael Dawson to say it wasn't, but then you've got Jamie Redknapp saying the same thing and you're sitting here going, what on earth is going on here? What on earth is going on here? And then after that, after the game, you've got, You've got Jose Mourinho coming out and and turning it on the referee. You know, he, he talked about Tottenham being under pie, talked about them not being good enough. And then he starts blabbing on about, about the referee and how the referee should give an interview and how he had seen it on his iPad and how he had a, you know, he had a feeling and all of this. And it's just like, well, mate, I think your iPad is broken, Jose. Because quite frankly, the reason Spurs lost the game uh, today or the reasons Spurs lost the game today were because they were poor. They were negative despite having tons of attacking talent at their disposal. They weren't even interested in playing football in the first half. They were weak. They were outbattled, outfought, tactically outdone. Um, and that's, that's why they didn't win the game today. You know, it's as simple as that. They gave it for 15 odd minutes towards the end of the game where they played quite well, to be fair. And we got a little bit nervous and we struggled to manage the game. And, and Mikel Arteta touched on that as being one of the areas in which we need to improve. And I completely agree with him on that. But I mean, to, to pinpoint the refereeing decisions when both were 100% correct. And listen, I'm the first one to jump onto referees' backs uh, when they get things wrong, I'm the first one to say that they're ruining our game. I'm the first one to say that the standard of officiating in the Premier League is far worse than most other places. But I thought that Michael Oliver was spot on today. And it's not just because it went in Arsenal's favour. I just, I genuinely can't see how you could make an argument the other way on either of those two cases. And I just find it embarrassing when somebody as experienced as Jose Marino was uh, with such a high standing in the game resorts to to moaning about those decisions. It's just, it just baffles me, but there you go. Um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of most of the things I wanted to cover. I'll be talking a little bit more about the tactics, about the tactical side of the game on tomorrow's lunchtime show. Uh, that's Monday's lunchtime show. If you're listening to this on audio, it's the show that's coming uh, in a few hours time. So uh, keep your eyes and ears uh, peeled 
but yeah, we'll be talking about the tactical side a little bit more on that. So I look forward to bringing you guys uh, that show. But this is kind of more of a raw reaction, more of a post reaction. Um, and as Tofa um, <laughs> points out, uh, Jose only looks up, not down. How did he see the iPad? <laughs> I love that. Um, and, you know, he, he those comments really irritated me in the week, you know, when he was asked about Arsenal, I don't look down, I only look up, etc. Well, maybe you should start looking down, Jose, because the managers down below you, they're getting the better of you. I thought Mikel Arteta completely outdone him tactically today. Um, and that's a credit to, to our boss and he deserves a lot of praise because it's not always been plain sailing for Mikel Arteta. He's had some difficult times, some ups and downs, and uh, it's always great to see him get a result, to see the passion. I thought he showed a lot of passion uh, today. Um, I know he always does, but in particular, when we won the game, the celebration, I thought he was really, um, you know, really, uh, really engaged and engrossed in the game and almost guiding his team through every single move down on the touchline. The camera sort of panned over to him on a few occasions. And I can only imagine for those that were in the stadium, um, it, it must have been even more evident. Time for your questions. Uh, get your questions in the live chat. I want to hear from you guys, your questions, your thoughts, your comments. What do you want to ask? Chuck it in the chat box. Now is your time. Whilst you do that, quick reminder of how you can become a member of the Chronicles of Aguna. Click on the link in the description. Check out the three tiers available. And if um, if uh, any of those tiers of membership appeal to you, we'd love to have you on board. Uh, also, let's check in once more on where we are with regards to the likes. Let's have a look. So right now, it's over 550 people watching, but we got 250, 205, sorry, uh, likes. Let's get to uh, to 250 guys between now and the end of the stream. Come on, that was the goal uh, from the beginning. Let's try and get there. We're not too far off, um, which is great. So uh, it's more than achievable. Let's try and do it. Let's uh, let's go back into the live chat. Let's take some of your questions. Uh, where is it? This one comes from uh, Matt G. How was a Bamiang late? He's got seventy four sports cars. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's baffling, isn't it? And you know we was having this discussion when we were watching the game earlier, and we were talking about the fact that you know there might be a, a valid reason. There might be a valid excuse. And if there is, then fine. Um, <sighs> is it in Mikel Arteta's... Uh, on the one hand, I think Mikel Arteta saw it as a big deal. He saw it as a big enough deal to leave his captain and his talisman out of the starting eleven for a game like this. And Mikel Arteta admitted that he was in line to start the game. So it's obviously a big deal to him. But if it was that big a deal, does he have him on the bench? No. Um, so that that's why I'm finding this one a little bit difficult to read. And and I actually still think that if I was Mikel Arteta, I probably wouldn't have said a thing. Um, you know, if we had lost the game and it had come up and the criticism was coming and the interviewer tried to kind of pick on the fact that Aubameyang wasn't in the side, then I would have said, well, he wasn't in the side due to a disciplinary issue. But given that without them actually probing you because he was literally just asked why Aubameyang wasn't in the starting lineup right there was no probing there was no poking there was no prodding to try and get that answer out he literally gave that up voluntarily so I found that a little bit strange um 
but yeah, it, it seems like that was the case. He, he, he turned up late, which isn't good enough, right? Um, you know, and you expect more from your captain. Maybe there was a genuine reason. Maybe despite there being a genuine reason, Mikel felt that he had to, he had to act. He had to set a precedent. He had to set a standard. And, you know, on this occasion, he he did that. He made the point and we still come through the game of all three points. So no harm done. Uh, Patrick Carlson says, can we get top four? I, I don't think so. Um, if I'm honest, uh, you know, I can't see it. When you look at it now, Arsenal, what, 10 points behind Chelsea, obviously got a game in hand, could potentially become become seven. No, I, I don't see it. I, I really don't. But I do think that the top six could be on. Um, but Mikel Arteta keeps talking about it. He's spoken about it in a couple of recent interviews and press conferences where he said that if you get four or five wins back to back in this division now, you can put yourself right back in the mix. And when you think about the upcoming fixtures that we've got, we do take on West Ham, um, who, you know, seven points ahead of us now, but that could become four if we were to beat them. You look at Liverpool, we got a game to come against Liverpool very soon at the Emirates Stadium. And we're only two points uh, behind them as things stand. So, you know, the top six could be on. I still think the top four is is a little bit too far away. But a top, listen, a top six finish from where we were uh, in 15th place around about Christmas wouldn't be bad going. And it would mean that we'll, we'll qualify for Europe next season, regardless of what happens in the Europa League. And I keep talking about the need for us to do that from a financial standpoint. And that is not changing. That is not going away. So um, I, I think that Europe is 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 massive for us. I think we need to get into Europe desperately. And I feel like, uh, you know, I, I still want to see a couple more wins before I'm talking about it being on. But it is there. It is, it is still there. We're not completely out of the race, completely out of the picture. Uh, Sam says, do you think we'll finish above Spurs now? I mean, there's only four points in it. Um, it's difficult to read Spurs, right? Because they going into this game, they'd been on really good form. Uh, Kane was firing. Bale was firing. Son was playing up top with them. They obviously lost him to injury today. Don't know how long that's going to be. And you, you were worried, you know, you were worried. That, and I talked about it, didn't I, before the game? By the way, my prediction or my prediction show was absolutely spot on the 2-1. Um, I, I went with Arsenal 2-1, didn't I, on yesterday's uh, predicted line or my lineup and prediction show. I got it absolutely spot on 2-1. Um, but you kind of looked at it and, and I kept saying, didn't I, I just felt that Spurs were, were going to be clinical when it mattered and we might not have been. And, you know, that could have been the case today because Spurs one shot in the first half, one goal. Arsenal, countless efforts and, and countless possession and unable to make a great deal happen off the back of it. Do I think we'll finish above Spurs now? I think we're, you know, we're inconsistent. They have to have a bit of a meltdown, in my opinion, for it to happen. But again, just like the top six, whilst I won't 100% say it's on, I'm not going to rule it out because it is a possibility. A79 says, would you play Martinelli and Ryan on Thursday? I probably would now. Um, I've talked about Bern Leno. I talked about the fact that I feel he's going through a little bit of a difficult moment. 
And so I wouldn't be against Matty Ryan coming in. I thought he did well when he played against Villa. Not someone I look at and I'm particularly fearful uh, of, or, or he's not someone I look at and think, God, we, you know, he, he can't do a job. I'm not scared of him playing, basically, the way I'm scared of Renarsson playing. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't be against that. Martinelli, I think, should probably be involved on Thursday. Not sure why he was left out of the group today. Um, but I suppose, you know, you, you've you got a certain amount of substitutes you can name. I would have had him on there. Uh, but again, we've won the game. We played really well. Are we going to start the whole Martinelli thing again off the back of it? Let's just celebrate winning the North London derby. Let's just enjoy it. Um, and uh, there you go. Uh, what else have we got? in terms of your comments. Uh, big hello uh, to Nigo, who says, great work, Harry. The Gidiago household is buzzing. Good. Glad to hear it. Hope you're all well, man. Love and uh, regards to the family. Uh, Dalisu says, Harry, how would you rate Leno's performance today? Talked about it a little bit earlier on, Dalisu. You might have missed it. Um, uh, he just doesn't fill me with confidence at the moment for a number of reasons. I talked about his, his distribution. That worries me, particularly if we're going to insist on playing. Uh, the way we are, it's not even necessarily the distribution. It's the decision-making in those positions that, that worries me. I think at times he plays the wrong pass. I thought he went longer a couple of times today because he maybe learned his lesson a little bit from what's happened in recent weeks. But, uh, but then I talk about his positioning. I felt that on a couple of instances today, he got that wrong and he was fortunate to get away with it. Look, there's no doubt that Bern Leno on form is, is a fantastic keeper. And Bern Leno, I guess, over the course of the season has earned us more points than he's cost us. And, and he deserves praise for that. I just feel um, like he's going through a little bit of a difficult patch right now. Big hello to Harry, another one of our members. Uh, he says, Mikel Arteta got everything right today. We hung on towards the end, but our nerves gave Spurs the upper hand. Mikel Arteta's interview on Sky was 90 seconds. Jose Mourinho's was three minutes complaining about decisions. Says it all. Yeah, it does indeed. Uh, Josh Hunter says, who was your overall man of the match? I think for me, it had to be Emil Smith-Rowe. Um, the only thing is that he came off a little bit early, and I don't know if that has that much of an impact. But other than Emil Smith-Rowe, I thought the standout players were David Luiz, Kieran Tierney, Martin Odegaard. There were, a, there were a few. Really difficult one for me to answer, but I'm going to give it to Emil Smith-Rowe just based on the impact he had in the final third um, in terms of creating those chances. was desperately unlucky as well not to get on the score sheet himself uh, because he, he had one hell of a strike, didn't he, uh, which left Hugo Lloris uh, absolutely helpless and it come crashing back off of the bar. Um, Topher says, with West Ham coming up after Olympia goes, would you rotate heavily for the Europa or still go strong and get the job done? I'd rather just go strong, try and get the job done early doors and then you can start resting and stuff. But that's not to say I wouldn't rotate some players, right? I think that we're in a strong enough position. We have a good enough squad to be able to change three or four players anyway um, and still come through the Olympiagos game unscathed. I know we won the first leg last season, but that was a 1-0 win. We're talking about a 3-1 away win with three away goals. They'd have to score three goals at the Emirates Stadium and you, you'd like to think that barring a massive meltdown, the job is pretty much done. So I would change three or four players. For example, I'd bring Bellerin back in at right back. Um, 
you know, I wouldn't even be against El Nenny playing in the midfield in one of those positions. Um, you know, Pepe coming in, even Willian coming in or Bamian coming back in. So we can make changes from what we had today and it wouldn't be uh, a major issue, I don't think. So, um, yeah, uh, that's my thoughts on that. Uh, Brad Richardson says, uh, do you think Arsenal should consider extending the capacity of the Emirates? Financially, we make more money from fans in the ground. I'm going to say no, Brad, because the Emirates is is not always full. Uh, contrary to what the club like to tell us, where they say, the today's attendance, 60,000 and whatever it is, thank you for your support. Sometimes you look around the ground and there are so many empty seats. Granted, there are people who purchase tickets, have season tickets, have corporate tickets, whatever, that don't always attend. Um, but, I, you know, I don't think that we need more in terms of capacity and I don't know if it's worth the cost uh, in order for, you know, when you weigh up against the reward. Um, uh, just trying to pick out a few more questions because the chat has been uh, updating so fast that if I have missed your questions, I do apologize. Uh, Chris says, uh, Harry, what do you think about Mikel not saying too much to the media? Personally, I love it. Yeah, I like that and I respect that. It's a little bit frustrating as fans at times, right? Because you want to know what's going on. Uh, but it is the right way to be, I think. It's, it's important to keep things in-house uh, wherever possible. So, yeah, um, I agree. I think that's the right thing. Fatality asks what happened to Saka. Uh, we understand that he felt his hamstring a little bit in that first half. And off the back of that, Arsenal didn't want to take any risks. And so um, so they, uh, yeah, so they uh, took him off. Um, Thomas, another one of our members, lots of members in the chat tonight. He says, uh, should the armband be handed over to Kieran Tierney now? Listen, I'd never wanted Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang to be the captain in the first place. He's just not captain material. Great player, fantastic player, but he just isn't a captain. He isn't a natural leader. People will hate this. People are going to despise me saying this. People are probably going to send me DMs from random accounts on Twitter off the back of me making this comment. But the players in that side that are captain material are people like Kieran Tierney, are people like Granit Xhaka, are people like David Luiz, who, you know, for me, are just are at a point now where they're performing at a certain level regularly. They don't let you down. Their attitude is right, even if at times they, they are a little bit error prone. But those are the guys that I think should be in under consideration um, as captains for me. Ekene says, Xhaka is still the captain for me. Looking at how they play on the pitch, looking at how he plays, how he talks to people, how he's constantly communicating. Same with David Luiz. Brad Richardson says, David Luiz is the captain for me. Um, those, are the, those are the players that I think should be under consideration uh, for the captaincy. But, you know, you've just signed Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang back uh, up on this major deal. You can't strip him of the captaincy. The repercussions of that would be too big. And so for me, he's going to be the captain until he leaves. Rightly or wrongly, um, you know, he is, in my opinion, going to be the captain until he leaves. You, It was probably part of the, the discussions that Mikel and him had over the summer that ultimately led to him committing his future. So I just don't think you can... Um, you could take that away from him now. Big hello to Sooty FM. Um, how you doing, man? He says, uh, would you sign Odegaard permanently if Real allow it, Real allow it, or sign someone else in the summer? 
I would, I would, I'd be already uh, trying to, um, trying to negotiate something whereby that deal is done. And I, I take encouragement from the fact that financially Real Madrid are in a very difficult position. I also take encouragement from the fact that Florentino Perez has made it his absolute priority in the summer. Florentino Perez, the Real Madrid president, that is to go out and get Kylian Mbappe this summer, who of course will be heading into his last year of contract at PSG, which suggests that, you know, well, PSG would be stupid not to sell him this summer because they'd end up losing a generational talent for free. So I think PSG will look to cash in on Mbappe um, this summer. And I think that'll be Real Madrid's top priority. And if selling Odegaard for 30, 35 million euros can contribute to that, or at least be a down payment on Mbappe, I think that they'll be willing to do it. I, th- I think it will be one of Ceballos or Odegaard. You know, I can't see Arsenal splashing out on both, but I think based on what we're seeing right now, you've got to go with Martin Odegaard. The guy's technically incredible. His work rate is there as well. His attitude seems brilliant. He looks as though he's fitting really well, really quickly. Love him when he talks, think he's got a really good attitude. And what I love about Martin Odegaard is he's a guy who's got a point to prove. He's a guy who went from here to there, from, you know, to the very highest level at Real Madrid as a 16-year-old. It probably came around a little bit too early for him, that move. And now he's in a position where he's, what, 22 years old and he's desperate to prove himself to the world. And I think he's doing a really good job of that so far. I would definitely try and do it. Obviously, it's dependent on on Real Madrid. If they're A, willing and B, uh, willing to accept the fee that is within Arsenal's transfer budget. Um, But yeah, absolutely love what I've seen of him so far. And I'm really excited uh, about the prospect of keeping him. Um, What else have we got here in terms of your uh, questions? I'm going to take a couple more. Um, I'm going to take a couple more. And again, apologies if I miss some of these, right? The chat is constantly updating and I, and I do miss a lot of them. So I do want to apologize in advance. But if you've got anything that you want to you, you want to ask and I haven't addressed it, then put it in the comments after the video as well. Um, and I will check, uh, the, I always check those anyway and I'll reply to any of those. Uh, Arjun says, should we give David Luiz another year? Right now, yes, uh, we should. It should be only a one-year deal, but um, he's playing so well at the moment. And we keep hearing about his influence off the field as well. And for me, that is just as important here. When you're looking to blood through some youngsters, right? And when I talk about youngsters, you know, people like Bukayo Saka, people like Emil Smith-Rowe, even Martin Odegaard to a degree. I know he's been at a big club, but relatively inexperienced in terms of game time. When you're talking about somebody like Gabriel next to him, who's what, 22, 23 years old, still finding his way as a centre-half. When William Saliba comes back, I think that David Luiz is a brilliant mentor um, as well as a good defender. And I think it would be silly to allow him to walk away because ultimately you'd have to replace him and you're going to have to spend a lot of money to do that. I feel like right now, given the way he's playing, given his influence off the field and behind the scenes, it would be an absolute no-brainer to offer David Luiz another one-year deal. I would love for it to happen. I think it has to be done with a view to him, um, with a view to him slowly playing less, coming away from the team. 
but I, I really like him. Um, I, I really do. I've always liked David Luiz since he's come to Arsenal. I know he's made mistakes, but I love his character. I love people that don't shy away. I love people who take responsibility. And he certainly, certainly does that. So, um, yeah, I'd give him another year. Right. We are going to leave it there. Uh, we've been going for over an hour. Don't forget, be another show coming to you live uh, on Monday at around about 12.30 p.m. Uh, that'll be dropping in podcast format around about an hour later. Uh, by the time I finish it, edit it up, etc. So you get that about 1.30 p.m. Uh, so, yeah, really, really looking forward uh, to that. Be looking at the game in a little bit more of a tactical um in a tactical way, in a ta- from a tactical viewpoint. Uh, so, yeah, looking forward to analysing the game a little bit deeper. Uh, I'm going to watch it back again first thing in the morning and uh, draw up some of those points to present to you guys on the show. So very much looking forward to doing that. Um, thank you all so much. Really, really appreciate it. Spam the chat box. Let me know where you are watching or listening to us from and i'd love to give you a shout out so get into the uh, chat box now let me know um quick reminder as well i know i've been banging on about it a lot tonight but there are a lot of you in the chat and i want to cash in on it because there are over uh, 500 of you watching just on youtube and we've only got 254 likes so let's get up to 300 likes by the time the video ends, by the time I give you guys a shout out, uh, let's get up to that 300 point. We're around about 45 off. So go, 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 go. Smash that like button. Um, right. In terms of uh, where you are watching us from, um, we have got uh, Chris who's watching us from Los Angeles. Chase is in San Diego, California. Big hello to Sooty FM, of course, here in the UK. Manny uh, joins us from Istanbul. Um, the insurance basket joins us from Auckland, New Zealand. Patrick is in Sweden. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Hermani is in Joensu, Finland. I hope I've said that right. Josh is in London. Matt's in London where it's red. He says, uh, <laughs> uh Marcus joins us from Sierra Leone. Uh, what else have we got here? Let's have a look. Uh, Anuj is, uh, watching us from NYC and says, hope you have a great time on the gas tank tomorrow. Give it back to the people who doubted us. Oh mate, it's the most I've looked forward to a gas tank, um, in a while. Yeah. Very much looking forward to it. Fatalities in London. DS electronics is in Jamaica. Delice is in Durban, South Africa. Cavill's outside the Emirates. Uh, Sam is in London. Gunatel's in Braintree, Essex. Agor David is in Kenya. Uh, Jan Franco is watching us from Lima in Peru. Uh, we've got Mile High Guna, who's watching us from Denver in uh, the USA. Uh, Mikey is in North London. We've got uh, FIFA LZ in England. Franklin is in Bucharest, Romania. Addy's in Adiraj, India. Uh, Osman Ali's in number 10, apparently, London. Uh, Paddy's in Galway Island. Uh, Brad's in York. And uh, Creambone, apparently, is next door. I don't know if I should be scared about that or not. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Thank you all so much for your continued support. Love you all. Um, enjoy the rest of your Sunday evening, whatever's left of it. And we can all sleep peacefully tonight in the knowledge that we have beaten Spurs in the North London derby. As I said, right at the top of the show, North London is red, but when was it not red? Take care. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast.
Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. <laughs> 